In this episode, I interview Adriana Marchione. She is an amazing woman, and I couldn't wait to interview her in this podcast where she discusses her own trauma, her triumphs, and her work, and how it can help sensitive and empathic individuals express their creativity and also how the sensitivity makes your creativity even deeper. Let's listen in. Hi everyone, this is Kavita, Certified Empowerment Coach and Hypnotherapist, and you are listening to the Enlightened Heart Podcast, where we explore topics that empower HSPs and empaths to go from surviving to thriving in the world. I use my years of coaching, my personal experience, and my training to provide deep insights and implementable strategies to help you thrive. Today, I am speaking with Adriana Marchione. She has been involved in the arts for over 30 years as a filmmaker, dancer, photographer, and is internationally recognized in her work as a movement-based expressive arts therapist and educator. Since 2002, she has been teaching and presenting her creative healing approach to addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and grief at her training programs, festivals, conferences, and treatment centers, including Tamalpa Institute, Wheat Institute in Canada, South by Southwest, and Studio Le Terre de Corp in Paris. Adriana's films include When the Fall Comes, which is about her personal journey with grief and the arts, and she is currently directing The Creative High, a feature documentary that is featuring artists who have faced addiction and the natural high of art making. There'll be more links below to find out more about her work. Hi, Kavita. So welcome, Adriana. Yes, yeah, I'm so excited too. to do Me this too. with you today. It's to be here and share this virtual space. Yes, yes. Okay, so let's dive right in. So let's, you know, the audience are HSPs, highly sensitive people and empaths. So we want to hear more about you. So do you consider yourself a highly sensitive do. person? I don't or empath? necessarily use those terms to describe myself, but um, I'm sure you know, you know, there's many different ways to mm-hmm. have that experience, own that experience. Um, and definitely, I consider myself sensitive. Um, and I, one of the things that I remember growing up is Mm -hmm. my parents sometimes calling me the princess and the pea because I would wake up and always have some sort of, "Mm, this wasn't quite right, or that wasn't quite right, or this, you know, and so just having a really just deep sense of Mm -hmm. needing a certain kind of comfort or wanting to adjust my circumstances or environments to suit me so that I felt safe. You know, it was something that I think I was born with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, that's, I can hear so many of our listeners feeling that sense of 
I'm too sensitive in some way, shape or form. And so for you, that princess and the pea, that's so funny. I remember that fairy tale as a child. And I also felt like the princess and the pea because like, oh, the pillow's too soft or this wasn't too (laughs) well. So that was your first indication that maybe your body was a little bit more sensitive, even though you don't use the word, the term HSP. So do you also consider yourself an empath? I realize I should have. Should have, right? Here we go, right there. <laughs> I realize that when you say, Are you also an empath? Oh, Part of no. me wants yeah. to do a quick search and what is the definition of empath? And empathetic, like I am empathetic, I feel things deeply, mm-hmm. I, I can attune with other people's emotions and experiences. The other thing that I feel is an early remembrance is input certain input would really influence me strongly such as being a teenager and I remember being with friends and watching horror movies it was like this thing to do and it uh, definitely feels like an American thing I don't know (laughs) and just feeling like I wanted to blend into the crowd and I wanted to be with my friends and feel like I was yeah we're into this horror Mm -hmm. movie but I would just afterwards, like I couldn't sleep or I would, you know, be up for, you know, nights just kind of replaying the the things that happened, like Halloween. That was like one of the first, I think, horror movies I saw. And it was terrifying. And, and maybe my other friends were having similar experiences, but I feel like <laughs> they were kind of like, yeah, you know, this is fun. And then they could let it go. But for me, it would just stick. It would stay. And so mm-hmm. I think from positive experiences or positive input, but also for input that that is jarring or disturbing in some way that I really felt it, I would really stick with me and it would be hard to shake it. Mm, yes. So, and that would most likely not happen for all your friends. Yeah. I mean, I just right? don't, That's you know, some, I don't think yeah. that my, my family, I don't remember, you know, I, I feel like that was very unique to me, even though now I know a lot of people mm-hmm. who have similar experiences, but I know a lot of people who don't. <laughs> they can take it and yes. leave it. They can, you know, watch it and enjoy it. And afterwards, they're on to the next thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that resonates with a lot of the listeners, and it definitely resonates with me. So I'd love to hear more about some of the challenges you face as an HSP empath, who's also maybe an entrepreneur, right? You have, you know, you're an art therapist, you're, you have films you're working on, you know, all these amazing things. So what well, do you think are some of the challenges? Yeah, you face? I'm, I mean, I've learned to be, well, maybe, I have, maybe that's the wrong thing to say that I've learned to be. I think, I think I've always been into stuff and I've always, like my mom is very, she's, she just, she loves to cook and she loves to read and she, lo- you know, she's always in her retirement. Like she's always just doing lots of different things and connecting with lots of different people. And, and I think my father also, he was really, he's not, he's no longer with us, but he was also very prolific with his work and he wrote and mm. he, so I think I, I was sort of born into a family of doers. Yeah. So I, I'm, you know, went to, when I went to college and different things that I did, I, I would push myself. I would be fairly prolific and, and 
in my work. And, and so that's something that, you know, has continued. It's just part of my rhythm. It's part of how I operate. But I also feel that I have to be careful because I can push it and I can do too much and then I can really crash or I can really feel it. And, and I used to use different things to kind of temper that. Like I, I used to drink and I used to, you know, just also didn't have the now over time, right, as we grow and heal and we learn how to have boundaries, but I didn't really have boundaries. So it would stay up really late or, you know, I would eat foods that would kind of whack me out. And, you know, so I think that for a long time, I was sort of trying to figure out how to balance my drive and the things that I really felt compelled to do, sometimes compulsively, and also that deep sensitivity that I have. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, all the things that we do, more like the numbing behavior, right? And then or just trying to fit in, you know, you talked about trying to fit in as a teenager watching the horror films and some of the behavior you described, like staying up late, doing too much, you know, drinking and all those things. That's kind of feel like it helps you fit in right to the size. So now you've found a different way, a way that works for you. And so what brought you to what you do now? Yeah. What, what brought me to what I do now? I mean, there's, it's been a, a long path and many, many different twists and turns along the way, like most people who get to be in their 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started off as an artist and uh, really found crafts and arts when I was young and um, also had a creative, in different ways, a creative orientation to growing up and there was there's no artists necessarily in my immediate family but my grandfather painted my dad liked to dabble in arts and I think there was always a deep appreciation for creativity and and very international I grew up in a very international household there was we lived different places like Jamaica and Norway and um, there's a lot of international travel that my father did and my parents met in Africa and so you know all sorts of I feel like I grew up with kind of this rich tapestry of experiencing life and so when I started doing my own arts practice which originally was photography uh, that led me into my bachelor's degree in college and I, I had art was my was my major and so I I just really embraced it I was I was having a rough time my my late teens my early 20s were a really tough time I think I was just grappling with my identity I was trying to you know separate from my parents being more independent and a lot of just internal things going on dealing with anxiety and depression and so I started using alcohol as a crutch so that you know kind of happened in my late teens I kind of traveled through my bachelor's my college you know career and then into after after the fact and I was trying to kind of make things work you know like being an artist and trying to find a way to put my art out there and then had all these odd jobs and I did temp work and and just it was very chaotic and I just couldn't find my ground mm. you no know? so I ended up I was living in first Ohio which is basically where I grew up and where I went to college and then I moved to Minneapolis for a very short time and then came out to San Francisco California mm. and when I came to California I was in my early 20s 
and this is where my whole art career was going to take off. And I was like, this is the place and I'm going to, you know, have all these great things happen. And within a year of arriving here, I really crashed and burned Mm -hmm. with my alcohol use and ended up going to therapy and then ended up in, in a 12 step program, like, you know, just really trying to figure out how to live my life alcohol free. And that was a real turning point because then I, I started on a healing trajectory. And so my art took a whole new meaning because it wasn't just about, you know, kind of playing the game in the arts world and just trying to produce art. And, and also I want, you know, it's like kind of avant-garde. I wanted, I was very, felt like I was very Mm -hmm. (laughs) avant-garde, which is all great, but uh, it wasn't, really working for me. So I started really on this path of healing through creativity. Mm. And, and then that brought me to, to do training in expressive arts therapy and movement therapy and really learning to listen and express myself in a whole new way. Mm. Yes. What an amazing journey of, you know, addiction, finding yourself, depression, anxiety, and finally hitting the point where you were ready to change. And you had the help too, to be able to do that through the 12-step program. And then you came to your work, which is what you do now. Yeah. And so tell me more about that, about how the sensitivity, it sounds like, was a contributing factor to the addiction. And then when you were able to work through the addiction and starting to put more boundaries and honoring yourself more, how does the sensitivity help with what you do? And how can the creativity help those that are sensitive? Yeah, so much. You said so much there that felt feels really important. So I'm going to try mm-hmm. to trail back to the first thing you were saying about, you know, that here I am in this whole new orientation after I found recovery. And I really think that I know so many people because I work in the, in the field of addiction and recovery. And, mm-hmm. and I, I have so many, a lot of community around that too. A lot of people I know who are in long-term recovery or, or trying to get into recovery that I got sober really young, you know, I was 24. And I think part of the reason that happened is because of my sensitive nature. Mm-hmm. And it was maybe highly sensitive, right? As you, you know, that, that term, like, I think maybe I was highly sensitive. I think a lot of people who struggle with addiction are, are very sensitive, but, mm. but they're able to override it. And I just kept trying to override it and it wasn't working. It wasn't working anymore. Mm. And I had also suffered a trauma which I had been, um, I was assaulted during the Rodney King riots, which some of your listeners may remember, but it was, was one of the first really notable riots that happened around police violence. Mm-hmm. And, and it just sort of flooded up here to San Francisco and I just happened to be out and, and became a target. And, and so the trauma for me after the fact, I couldn't drink it away. I just was really in this place of, of just incredible vulnerability and just really couldn't figure out how to navigate and function very well after that happened. So I think that all those things combined, like feeling that high, high sensitivity and it just brought me to this place of like, oh, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to survive this if I continue to do what I'm doing. So 
that I think was a real breaking point. And then when I started doing the work and training in the work of arts therapy, it's like I, I opened up a whole new field of awareness, right? I mean, I also started to realize that I had a body, which of course I have had a body before, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I didn't sense my body really. I was living in my head all the time. I was, you know, kind of this um, just thinking person. I wasn't really a feeling person. And so recovery helped me become a feeling person so that my emotions were were present and my body was, you know, on board and and that was hard too, though. You know, that also was really hard because all of a sudden I was, I, I had to feel so much. I didn't have the numbing agent, right? Mm-hmm. So, so using art as a place to put my stories and put my energy and put my emotions. And I started also using dance through the training I was doing. So it was a bod- full body experience. Um, I also found release and companionship and so all those things combined just really helped me start learning these tools that I could use to temper some of the sensitivity, but also allow it to be, mm-hmm. you know, allow it to exist. And that to me is really part of what I do in my work now is that I really try to help people honor like, yeah, like I feel things deeply and I have a very attuned way of sensing the world and that all those things are gifts, right? I know you know this, like mm-hmm. all those things are gifts, but how do we find the boundaries and the protection and the balance and the ground that we need to allow ourselves to dabble and, and kind of live in that place of attunement to the world, attunement to ourselves, attunement to our joy and to our pain. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I mean, thank you so much for sharing that story, right? The trauma that you experienced and how that got to a point where you could not numb it anymore with the alcohol, right? It wasn't working. You couldn't drink it away. Um, and working through the trauma with the creativity, you feel things deeply as a, as an HSP, you're going to feel things deeply and you get to feel the good things too, right? So the yes. numbing. And then also what you shared about being in your head is so common, right? That idea that we, sh- we stay in, a, I like to use the chakras as, a, as the, the points of energy, right? And so we tend to stay, we love to stay as HSPs in the upper chakras. That's where we're comfortable, right? We're comfortable with our head, the spiritual, some people with speaking, like that part. But then when you start to go lower down into the grounding in the world, you're power in the world, then we're just a little bit less comfortable with that area, those areas, right, of our lives and bodies. So, so what helps? How has creativity helped you? You did say some of it in what you shared with your story. But how do you see creativity helping you and others express and and work through trauma or grief? Yeah, I mean, so many think that part of what we see in culture is that creatives, artists, I mean, there's so many examples of famous musicians or writers or actors that they touch, that with creativity, we can touch the sky. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, we can feel the, the heights uh, and we can also drop down into the, the material, kind of the, the depth of our emotional material or, you know, the tragic stories. Like those things can be touched through the art process. And 
And I think that that is something that can be this triumph, this incredible brightness for people to to access that. I mean, that's why we love the arts in many ways, because they help us touch the divine, right? Mm -hmm. They help us touch this, the meaning of life, really. It just gets down to the essence uh, through, I mean, film can do that. Music can do that, right? The list goes on poetry. And and then it can also flip, it can turn on, on us. I mean, I've had that experience myself when, you know, I've been like chasing uh, something through creativity. And sometimes that's a feeling of, of oh, I want to just want to explode into this art practice. Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, just I want to get high off of it. And, and then just really crash from the experience because like, like when I talked about when I was still drinking, like mm-hmm. staying up really late or, you know, getting completely out of balance because it just became everything. And and then also sometimes the competition or the feeling like I want, I want attention through like the performance aspect of it. And so I think to me, you know, it, I really try to support people that are creatives or artists that, that have this incredible capacity to want to touch the divine, want to, you know, have these really meaningful experience through the arts to be successful doing that, especially if we're dealing with vulnerable content or very Mm -hmm. personal material. So I often, you know, help people with projects or with practices like, like through grief, for example, that, you know, when we're dealing with grief, a loss of a, a loss of an important person in our lives or a loss maybe of a stage of our lives or um, loss of meaning or things like that, that how, how art can be this incredible container to hold the stories and to help us express what wants to be expressed and get it out of our heads and or out of our bodies and onto the page or into the song or into, you know, the expression, but do it in a way that also there's, there's safety in the risk-taking, there's safety mm-hmm. in the exposure that bringing that art can it shake us up, wake us up, jar us a little bit. So mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always trying to help people temper the beauty that art can bring and also the sometimes the the fear that can come with it. Mm. Yeah. I feel like I said a whole lot there. So, you know, there's wherever you feel like. Yeah, no, that, that was amazing. I didn't want to interrupt you because it was so <laughs> it was so powerful the way that you described describe the process of how the creativity holds a person's grief in a way, right? It's a way to express it in a safe way, to take the risk. There was so much in what you said, right? And so I I think it would be great if you're willing to share. It's really clear to me how much the creativity has helped you, right? And helped you be the person, amazing person you are today. And how have you seen the creativity help with healing trauma, grief, addiction in your your clients, patients? Yes. Yeah, and I and definitely call them clients. I mean, okay. partly because I'm I'm not a um, I'm not a clinician, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. I'm not a I'm I'm an arts arts therapist, somatic movement therapist, yes. but I'm not a psychologist. Okay, great. So, um, even though I have a master's in psychology, I have a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. I also, you know, really try to bring a holistic perspective to people and not make them feel diagnosed mm-hmm. or, or, yeah, labeled, you know. And not to say, I mean, I, I, mean, I of course, completely honor and respect the field of therapy. And yes. Just a differentiation. One thing that I, I want to name around this and is that there's, 
there's two threads that I I follow when I'm working with people. One is sometimes we want to go right into the pain or the struggle and that mm-hmm. using art to go right into it. And sometimes I want to use a resourcing approach, which is we, we start with what's actually to celebrate or what is, you know, what's the joy or what's, where's the comfort and that art can also really help us access that too. So that's also, I just want to kind of name those, mm-hmm. like I call it like going through the front door or the back door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, so for, for example, you know, one of the things that I love to do is help people create ritual in some way around their, their life. So a mm-hmm. life art bridge. And if someone's experiencing a grief or they're trying to recover from an addiction that creating, for example, a space in their home, like, you know, often we talk about creating altars, mm-hmm. like one thing I'm doing right now, I just lost my dear pet of 15 and a half mm-hmm. years, my old cat Pablo, who passed just just a week ago. And I have a little altar for him that, you know, has some treats and his mm-hmm. favorite toy and a candle and a picture of him and a little heart. And, and so every day I light that in memory of him. And it's this little creative piece that that gives me some feeling of connection and, and comfort and so those kind of simple things I sometimes have people do creating again you know a space or or making um, using photographs or collage or or a painting or you know whatever is is something simple that they can do to honor something in their lives it could also be there's this wonderful thing about this grief counselor, when I was going through some of my, my grief, mm-hmm. um, which has been a part of my own journey as well, a lot of different grief losses I've had, that lighting a candle is a creative act. And to me, like that in itself is, it's adding something to that, right? So that there's something else that, so lighting a candle for the grief or for the loneliness or for the the powerlessness over the addiction or you know whatever it might be that that we in some ways create creating that act is is important you know and so also performance i've had people create performance rituals around things that they've gone through like losing a a spouse or also you know sort of doing a dance for their life uh, versus mm-hmm. Their, their struggle or the feeling that they're losing their life due to their addiction. So there's different things that help people structure creativity and put it into some a score. And that's a term that we use in the work that I do that we really structure it so they have some resources and then activities they can do to actually enact that. Mm-hmm. And and that that's a really beautiful way to to use the arts through through struggle is really moving into some kind of ritual. So amazing. That was that was so amazing all that you shared the rituals and you know so sorry about your loss of Pablo and you know just what you talked how you talked about and described right like lighting a candle, right? Just that act and how you can make that can be a creative act. I can just feel people leaning in, right? It's like oh, she sounds really amazing, which is why I wanted to interview you. Um, so tell me, tell us more, tell the listeners more about some of the things you're working on right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm 
One of the things that I have started doing over the last many years is getting really full back, full into my own arts practice because for a long time I was really just midwifing others' creativity and and just really just actively, actively in my work teaching and one-on-one practice. And I still do that as well, but, um, Mm -hmm. but I've carved out some more time to create performance and uh, of my own. I created a very significant performance. It was significant to me around the law of loss of uh, actually my husband who passed away from lung cancer. And so I, Mm -hmm. I did that. And then we created a film, short film about that which you mentioned earlier, when the fall comes. And then the last five years, I've been working on a documentary about creativity and addiction, and specifically nine different stories of people moving through their journey with addiction into recovery in different forms, a variety of diverse perspectives. So I've been really digging into filmmaking and having creative collaborations. That's been really intense and challenging me in all sorts of ways, but also very rewarding. And I, you know, continue to. Like now with COVID, right? It's like mm-hmm. everything's online, so I'm not doing my in-person like rich one-day retreats or groups, and and so um, I've been doing master classes on using the arts to support addiction and grief and trauma, and I'm doing a course in the new year that's a 90-day course. It's all about this idea I'm talking about, like having a focus on a creative project or practice that guides people and really helps them to work on their personal material with a with a with ground with support like take the risks to I mean express those you know I think again like back to the piece of like how do we how do we find meaning from our experiences and I I think right Mm -hmm. now we're just struggling you know so many people are struggling to just deal with everyday life um, with the pandemic and let alone all the you know all the loss people have had and substance abuse is really, and mental health issues are so present. And I I think that having a creative approach gives us this perspective. It gives us a distance from, from the immediate sense of, of pain gives us Mm -hmm. a distance from it. And then, then we get to, we get to organize a little bit better. You know, we get to Mm -hmm. organize a little better. And so I think that, I just continue to try to offer people practices and bring them to myself as well to find those art cures. Mm -hmm. Yes, love it. And so you're offering this course and you have these films, there's so much. And then you, what is the best way for people to find you? The best way, I mean, definitely social media is good. You can find me on Facebook and you can find me on also on Instagram, those are really the two platforms that I that I use, mm-hmm. and then and then through my website adrianamarchion.com. and okay. I um, just send me an email. You know, it's really easy just to message me or send me an email, and and we can connect. You know, I, I love having chats with people and exploring what they're going through or hearing from people who are who you know who are curious about how to be more creative in their in their lives or feel like they yeah, something they're doing that they're excited about. And, and so I, yeah, just always really open to finding ways to connect with people out there and the many incredible things folks are doing. And, you know, and I think everyone's creative too. So I always feel like people don't have to feel like, well, I'm, I'm not really creative, but I want to learn more ways to 
to be supported, like new, unique in different ways to be supportive. I feel like art is, is really for everybody. Mm, yes, definitely. Yeah, I've heard that. Oh, well, I'm not creative. You know, I'm not artistic, but everybody has that capacity. And so you have a free gift as well, correct? I do. For the yeah, yes. I just finally put that together, partly because of our mutual, you and I are on this women's network, right? And it yes. was prompted by Jessica Hadari, who's like, you gotta mm -hmm. get a free gift. So I do, I have a free gift now. And it's a six ways that creativity can support grief, addiction, and trauma. And it uh, includes some specific key points around that, but also a whole bunch of other, uh, there's also a bunch of other links for resources, articles, and my film, and um, mm -hmm. a series, inspiration series that I did. So yeah, if people want to kind of get some goodies, that's a good way to do it. So I'm going to provide the link for the listeners for your website, your films, the free gift, and the art cures course that you mentioned. So um, that'll all be in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared today. And before we end, I am going to ask you even for more. So do you, what resource or resources would you like to share besides your own with the listeners? The two, I have two. And one okay. is, I think a lot of people have seen this, but if they haven't, to watch on Netflix, the My Octopus Teacher. It's called My Octopus Teacher. It's about a South African filmmaker, journalist, journalistic filmmaker who spent mm -hmm. a year in in the waters near his, the ocean near his home, and and ended up meeting this incredible octopus. And the filming is just gorgeous. The story is so beautiful. And gosh, talk about sensitivity. I mean, it just. Mm -hmm. To me, it's all like it shows this deep sensitivity of ocean creatures and his sensitivity to filming and really capturing this underwater world. It's it's really, I mean, just unprecedented footage, I think. So I definitely recommend that on Netflix, My Octopus Teacher. And then uh -huh. um, there's a book that I have called Free Play okay. that I purchased a long time ago and by Stephen Nakmanovich, and it's The Power of Improvisation and Life in the Arts. And it's just this gem of a book that people might not know about as much because it's, you know, it's, it's um, gosh, when was it created? I'm just looking here. When, when did he publish this book? Looks like back in, um, it's saying 1770. That's definitely not true. 1990. So okay. it was published in 1990. And yeah, it's just, it has all these different chapters about flow and childhood and practice and, and just how we can really learn more about the arts practice in, in terms of our life and, and our own, you know, really deep process. So that's a great, great resource. I think people will enjoy. Wow. That sounds great. So I'll also have those names slash links in the show notes for the listeners. So thank you so much for doing this. You're so welcome. It's such a joy always to connect with you, Kavita. Thank you for joining us for the Enlightened Heart Podcast, where we focus on issues that are relevant to support highly sensitive people and empaths to thrive in this world instead of just surviving. I created this podcast to support people like you and me. So if you are called, please take a moment to write a review because you are truly appreciated as a listener and I would love to be able to share this knowledge with others. Your review is like an invitation for others to join you. Until next time, take good care. Bye.